Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, uh, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine, and today is no exception. I am absolutely thrilled to be here uh, again with Dr. Joseph Raphael. Um, I'm going to give you his background, and you'll see why I am thrilled to be uh, diving in and picking his brain today. Uh, Dr. Raphael received his BA in philosophy from Princeton, his MD from Drexel. He trained at the New York Hospital Cornell University Medical Center and was formerly a clinical assistant professor of medicine at Dartmouth Medical School while in practice at Hitchcock Clinic. He's a member of the Endocrine Society, is board certified in internal medicine. He's a diplomat at the American Board of Anti-Aging Medicine. In 1997, he co-founded PhysioAge Medical Group, where he exclusively practiced age management medicine with a focus on personalized hormone optimization and physiologic age assessment. And while we're going to be focusing on this today, in 2007, he co-founded PhysioAge Systems, a web-based biomarker data collection and reporting system now used by age management practices around the world to assess, monitor, and communicate to patients the effectiveness of their treatments. Uh, since 2009, he's been involved in clinical telomere biology research, and he's published three studies to the effect of oral telomerase activators on normal aging adults. He's lectured nationally and internationally on the clinical application of telomere biology. In 2015, he founded the Raphael Medical Group and blogs regularly about telomere biology, hormone optimization, and biomarkers of aging on raphaelmedical.com and physioage.com. Dr. Raphael, welcome again to New Frontiers. Thank you, Dr. Fischel. Glad I to just, be here. Yeah, it's always good to get to talk to you. I think the only limitation is that we, we, we should talk more frequently, I think, is the conclusion. I really enjoy picking your brain. So last year, we did a nice dive. And folks, you'll find a link to our previous conversation on the show notes page so you can listen to that podcast. In fact, if you want to listen to that podcast first and then tune into this one, um, this is really kind of a a part two. Uh, so we talked about testing and treating uh, telomeres in our in our initial podcasts. Um, telomeres are one of the tried and true biomarkers of biological aging, and we just took a deep dive into telomere biology. Um, we talked about lab tests, about immune biomarkers, telomere length, and um, the therapeutics available. We closed the podcast touching on DNA methylation, and we talked a little bit about uh, epigenetics. So since our first podcast, Tell me what's new in your practice. Well, um, there's a couple of things that have been really exciting me lately. Uh, I think, you know, one of the things is a um, more, more information and I think uh, better understanding of what role uh, DNA methylation and particularly these DNA methylation clocks have and uh, its relation to epigenetics uh, that sort of has removed some of the, the roadblocks to their being useful tests. Uh, I don't know if you remember, we talked about them in the context of biomarkers overall. Yes. And a lot of people um, have been in the last six months or so, you know, new companies coming out offering uh, DNA methylation tests. have been talking about how fantastic these clocks are because they correlate with age, the, the, what we call an R squared, meaning, you know, how much of the variance of between individuals is predicted by it. Uh, of you know upwards of 0.9, which is right. even up to 0.98, which is like you know, perfect clock. And, 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 right. and Horvath, <laughs> Horvath and, 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 and you know Dr. Horvath has 
um, use use the test in forensics for for figuring out the age of somebody when they don't have a documentation of it. And so it's great for that. But having been involved with biomarkers um, of aging for you know the last twenty years, you, you don't want a, a biomarker that's that perfect because right. otherwise you just look at your calendar and yes. you know you know you get the same information. What you right. want to look for is the variation in age between two individuals that's, that's um, in, in physiological aging that's taking place so that there's something to treat or something to monitor. Uh, and a, a perfect clock like that, it, it doesn't, really, doesn't really give you that much information. Um, so what has happened is since then, uh, a number of studies have been published looking at different ways of training these data sets uh, with mm -hmm. deep learning. That's how they come up with these things. Um, we'll get into the the, the mathematical details, probably because I couldn't explain them, but uh, um, I leave that to my data scientist that we work with. Um, uh, it depends on the data set you train. If you train them to predict chronological age, then they will predict that as well as they can by looking at all these thousands of sites, uh, yeah. we call CPG sites on, on DNA. But if you train them to look for something else, like to predict how biologically healthy someone is, yeah. then you get a different kind of information that may not correlate with chronological age quite as well, although it certainly will, but will tell you more about propensity for disease and for mortality. And uh, a number of companies, uh, one uh, clock in particular, uh, was published by Dr. Morgan Levine's group uh, when she was at USC and now out as she's at, at Yale, that was trained on routine lab data that you can right. get, that we all get uh, from sort of just chemistries, uh, it would be albumin, alkaline phosphatase, creatinine, fasting glucose, percent lymphocytes, uh, red cell distribution width, or RDW, MCV, and uh, high-sensitivity C-reactive protein. And they fed that into the machine, into the, 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 uh, into the, uh, the deep learning uh, uh, software, and they came up with what's called phenoage, which then they train DNA methylation to predict the phenoage. So a second step, and now this, so this, this clock looks at a different type of epigenetic change that is predictive of biological change, and that then is something that could be potentially affected by therapies and alter disease outcome, uh, mortality, and potentially functionality, making these clocks much more, much more useful, I think, uh, at this point. Yeah, that's a really good summary. Jeez, thank you, Joe. That's that's a great job. So, yeah. So, but but it actually still does correlate with chronological age. It's just okay. not as it's not like one to one as the previous clocks. And yeah, you're right. And it is changeable. And it is it's it is quite extraordinary what what she did. And she was in Horvath's lab. But yeah, the simple um, chem screen with and and CBC with a you know additional I think just C-reactive protein. That's it. Uh, yeah, the only addition was the C-reactive protein to, to yeah. oh, well, and the percent, so CBC with the LIMPs, yeah. uh, and RBW and MCV, uh, and then a chemistry, uh, and then a CRP, and everybody has that data yeah. available to them, yeah. um, and feed it into the clocking, and it actually predicts, um, you know, they have mortality predictions based on the NHANES, um, the NHANES cohort, uh, and, and disease risk, so it's, you know, what would be really interesting is to learn, uh, you know, the molecular biology and physiology behind why each of those, you know, is contributing. And, and what we don't know necessarily is if we make interventions to alter those, is that going to change the mortality? That's an intervention trial that that has not been done. Um, but 
you know, we know that we know that the salutary direction for most of these things, you know, you want your albumin to be higher, not lower. Yeah. Uh, it's a hugely important antioxidant system. You want your uh, creatinine to be lower, of course. Um, you know, you want your glucose to be low, you know, the RDW, you want them to be tight. So you don't have a lot of different sizes of red blood cells and C-reactive protein, of course, you want to be low. So, I mean, it makes sense from everything we know about it, but to put them all together in this way and then be able to predict outcomes is, is really pretty fascinating. Um, I think it also uh, was great for me because it kind of put to rest this misconception that people had, um, and particularly people when they're marketing their clocks, which is, you know, don't, these other biomarkers are passe, and particularly they're talking about things like telomere length, which you know I have a, a deep interest in, uh, and and, um, and at this point knowledge of, um, and, and we're sort of saying, well, telomeres are passe. You just need to look at the DNA methylation clock because it's so much more powerful a, pre a predictor. But in fact, just it's uh, just the, you know predicting chronological age is 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 not is not really that important. And biomarkers that might only have an R squared of 0.5 could well be very important. Uh, I right. use them all the time in my practice. Like uh, we talked about central arterial pressure, I think last time, um, yeah. which is sort of a better blood pressure. That is an R squared of just about 0.5, but is highly correlated with end-stage renal disease mortality, um, coronary artery disease mortality, uh, changes linearly over age. It's a very, very useful biomarker. Uh, and in, in Dr. Levine herself and other experts in the biomarker field, biomarker field have said, None of these fancy new clocks, as, as important as they may be, um, are going to displace other direct physiological measurements. They're going to that's be added. Right. Yeah, the that's more right. you have, the better. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, they're not going to supplant a blood sugar. They're not going to supplant, you know, just getting an old school blood pressure. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. They're, going to tell you other, they're going to tell you other new and interesting things. Um, yes. But, but don't think that, you know, if you know just that, then that's all you need to know, because that's just yeah. not the case. Listen, I just have to ask you for a second. <laughs> we, I, we, I don't want to digress too much, but are you are you prescribing continuous glucose monitors with your patients these days? I don't. Um, I mean, I'm not against it. Uh, you know, I've listened to a lot of Peter Atia's stuff and uh, you know, yeah. other doctors that do that. But yeah. you, you know, uh, I have patients who I, I follow hemoglobin A1C. Okay, yeah. so if hemoglobin A1C is five. Um, then you don't need a continuous glucose monitor. Right, okay. <laughs> that's, okay. There, that's really all there is to it. Now, if you're trying to get, I mean, as a behavior modification tool, yes, there are those patients out there who are like, well, I eat this and I eat this and it doesn't do that and, and I don't believe that bananas raise my blood sugar. Um, or there may be people where you're trying to figure out, you know, they, they have to eat some carbs, you're, you're trying to negotiate with them. Um, and we know that some carbs in some people raise their blood sugar, like bananas might in one person, whereas in another person it doesn't raise them, but rice does. So they're useful for that. But most of my patients, uh, I have a really pretty healthy population. Um, and I think the average hemoglobin A1C is around 5.4. Um, we just we just don't need that information. And, yep. and it's not that much fun to wear. <laughs> okay, that's 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 good. That's good. That's a good answer. I have I've been wearing one recently, and I've been somewhat addicted to it. It is pretty addictive, and it is a behavioral mod modifier for sure. Um, so I was just wondering what no, your, I mean, I think that your take. Absolutely. I mean, I have some sitting here. <laughs> I just haven't been able to put it on my tricep yet to uh, <laughs> do it. Now, if it gets really small and like a tiny little patch. Yeah, uh, that sort of lumpy thing that you can actually go do an arm workout or do right. do an intensive sweating workout where it's not going to fall off 
and it's just not going to get in the way. Right. And I'll probably do that just, just for the, the fun of it, as you said, and to see. Um, <laughs> particularly like if I'm doing, you know, I do time-restricted eating now. I don't eat breakfast. It'd be nice to see, you know, you know what happens with yes. through the day. But, but again, you know, we're just looking at our devices so much. It's we are, we are. It's TMI. It is. It really, it is TMI. It's kind of fun. But, but to your point, I did, I did knock it off the other day. <laughs> So it isn't, it's, it's not where it will be in a few years. Um, so, so I, I appreciate your, you know, the, the background on what you're thinking about the, the DNA methylation clocks. It was just really nice, lovely intro. And the fact that the other biomarkers are really, are still useful in, in, including looking at telomeres. Um, there's some pretty interesting research that you brought to my attention on thinking about telomeres and, in, in our current pandemic. And so I want to ask you about that and just, you know, how we might, how we might use, use this knowledge to, um, you know, affect benefit, I, I, you know, with, with making, building resilience in our, in our, in our patients. Yes. Well, you know, so what has been kind of uh, fascinating, but also I think uh, trying to find the right word, um, you know, it's not coming to you right this second, but really interesting that um, the kind of medicine that I've been involved in for the past 20 years, I've always thought of as, you know, preventative, functional, take healthy people, keep them healthy for as long as possible, but I don't do acute care medicine, okay? Um, it turns out, and we've always known that the number one risk factor for most of the diseases that kill, you know, 95% of people, um, the top, you know, four, cancer, cardiovascular disease, dementia, um, uh, you know, our, our diabetes um, are the number one risk factor that is aging. Yeah. Uh, and, and now we have this pandemic that's come along that um, we find that the number one risk factor for having severe disease uh, is is aging. And so that's that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it um, is. And so thinking about ways to turn back the biological clock on people who are chronologically old to help them not have a severe disease is, you know, potentially something that, that my field could offer to the acute medicine field to, to help uh, reduce the burden of this disease because, you know, 90, whatever, 90, 99% of people have mild or, or no symptoms. Um, but how do you know who doesn't? And chronological age, that's another thing that's, I think, gratifying to find out. Chronological age doesn't exempt you. Like, there's not an absolute cutoff at 60 or 70. I mean, I just heard of a terrible story of a 23-year-old yoga instructor, super fit, um, died of COVID. I mean, no pre-existing conditions that we knew of. Right. That's the thing. Yes. What's working within us? Could it be potentially short telomeres or excessive numbers of senescent T cells because of um, because of uh, a viral infection that they have that's mm. not uh, uh, that's, that, that's not SARS-CoV-2. Um, yes. talked, I think we talked a little bit about CMV last time. We did. Mm -hmm. Being a precursor to uh, a cause of premature aging. And two really interesting papers came out. Um, when I, I was thinking about this, I, I, I run into them by two of the leaders in, in sort of uh, telomere biology and one in, in immunosenescence, the study of the aging of the immune system, um, uh, Aviv and Moss, Basically, they're hypothesis papers, but basically saying that um, perhaps one of the things that uh, is important in, in, in explaining why chronological age is the major risk factor, but also 
explaining some of these early cases, uh, younger cases, is that while they have younger age, in certain systems, they're not as young. They may yes. well be uh, like a 70-year-old. Uh, and I have, you know, I have an example in my practice of a very healthy 40-year-old woman, and she has telomeres that are about the length of a, four, a 74-year-old. Well, do you see that correlate, though, with when you do her, I mean, if you do a, a more detailed sort of immune phenotype workup, I mean, do you see that in T-cell status? Or, I mean, do you see, do you see that, do you see that reflected elsewhere in those biomark in the biomarkers that, of that woman? Yeah, I saw it reflected in two things. Well, one is that she had premature graying, which is part of her family and, and, um, and her, um, and uh, probably her telomere length, uh, a good portion of it was inherited. And as I think we talked about the last time, about 70% of your telomere length is inherited. There's quite a wide variability of uh, you know, three to four kilobases, which is just about as much as you lose over a lifetime. So, you know, at, you know, at young adulthood, you could be stuck with telomeres of somebody that's 30, 40 years older than you are because of what you inherited, not because of lifestyle or any other things going on. So I saw in her the premature graying, also uh, uh, she never smoked and, and very athletic and had significantly older lungs. We know that one of the areas that's hit most significantly in people with a telomere biology disorder um, is, is, uh, are the lungs, uh, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Uh, three to five cases, a percent of those cases yeah. have telomere, um, telomere uh, biology, uh, telomerase mutations. So uh, she did have some of those, but because she was young, relatively young, um, you know, with telomeres, it's it's when you get to a critically short telomere length uh, that you start to see manifestations. So what okay. will hopefully not happen because we have our own TA65 and, and we're having to do lifestyle things, et cetera. Um, but what typically will happen is at a certain point, our telomeres get too short and then a lot of diseases start to happen prematurely. Cardiovascular disease, pulmonary disease, potentially osteoporosis, dementia, all those things uh, um, could happen, but they won't show up when she's you know, in her mid-40s, not, not yet. Okay, okay. So j just give me a little bit for people who aren't familiar with TA65 that you've start you started her on immediately. Just give me a little bit of the background on it. Um, so TA65 uh, is a virtually pure extract of a traditional Chinese medicine called astragalus root. It's a particular um, species of astragalus root, which is astragalus membranaceus. Um, that, uh, you know, it's been used in Chinese medicine, the astragalus root for immune enhancing and longevity. It's been used uh, in COVID in different, in combinations, in TCM, actually. But Oh, is that right? Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that, that makes sense. And I'll, I'll get back to those other two papers in just a minute as well, as to you know, potentially why it might be beneficial in that. Um, but so it, it is, it has been shown, um, so TA65 was originally uh, found by a company called Geron, um, which was a biotech named after the Greek for old man, which is what Geron means uh, in Greek. Um, and, uh, and they were looking for things to treat the aging process because they knew back then in the early 90s that you know, the major killer of people uh, is really the aging process. Uh, and then it just you pick the disease that happens to you first as you get older. Um, they turned away from that towards cancer therapeutics because the FDA is still, uh, certainly back then, and, and, and still as, as, as of yet, um, won't give an indication for aging, uh, for, for approving a drug. So they turned away from it, and the, the, the rights to it were sold off to a company uh, that was founded by Noel Patton, and did, um, he started to sell it as a supplement 
to uh, enhance uh, turn on telomerase. And, and they did all the preclinical stuff. They did the molecular biology where they showed that it did turn on telomerase, which is suppressed uh, largely um, at birth and uh, did raise it to about threefold, um, which is a moderate telomerase activator. Um, and, that, uh, and then we subsequently have published papers showing that telomere length has been increased uh, in, um, in, in, in a randomized controlled trial um, and has had beneficial effects in the immune system, reducing the number of senescent T cells that uh, accumulate with age and which accumulate particularly in individuals who have been exposed to cytomegalovirus. And this is where the COVID, um, the COVID um, link is basically. Yeah. Uh, could the individuals who are you know, sort of too young to get to, to succumb to to uh, to COVID nineteen? Do they have immune systems that look more like sixty or seventy year olds because they have a large accumulation of senescent T cells? And things that would do that would be uh, um, a infection with CMV from you know very early on because yeah. what, what CMV does is it is. You know, if you ask your regular doctor about it, it'll be like, don't worry about CMV. It's, it's, it's benign. Everybody has it. Right. It's and it only causes disease in newborns because their immune system's not functioning well enough and it immunocompromised in individuals. That is not true. Um, the fact is, is that to keep that herpes virus, and it's herpes virus number five, um, at bay, when it, that is latent, not causing disease. And we know what disease it causes from the AIDS epidemic. It causes retinitis, uh, gastroenteritis, uh, uh, pneumonia, uh, it can cause encephalitis, um, and it can kill you. Uh, it is all, it, your immune system has to work very hard to keep it from coming out, and it has to divide and divide and divide. And each time your cells divide, those cells that are you know, left behind, so the memory cells that are left behind, and then the CMV gets reactivated, they have to divide again to fight it off, and then they're left with slightly shorter telomeres. Yes. That happens over and over again, the telomeres get too short, and then the T cells become senescent. Those senescent T cells not only don't do their job, but they do two bad things. They take up space for naive T cells so you can respond to new vaccinations and, and, and also respond to new tumors or infections, but they also secrete a lot of inflammatory cytokines. We all heard about cytokine storm that happens when someone gets really bad COVID disease. The thinking behind this, and this is from this paper by Paul Moss, who's you know, arguably the world authority on CMV and immune system um, is that, that individuals may have accumulated a lot of these uh, senescent T cells at a younger age because they had CMV from an early age. Other yeah. things like being overweight, um, having high blood pressure, uh, having glucose problems, all of those yeah. can conspire to cause your body to overreact to the, to, the, uh, to the virus. And what they're suggesting is that perhaps in addition to age, Looking at CMV status could be a way to stratify people for risk and for, for more uh, robust um, protection uh, and, and quarantining from other individuals, rather than just saying, well, you got to keep your grandmother away from the kid coming home from college. You also got to keep whatever CMV positive away from them right. because that could potentially worsen their response. Now, again, this is not meant as medical advice to anybody. This is hypothesis stuff, that, but it's based in some pretty significant data that I think uh, could be helpful uh, yeah. to, 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 to sort of trying to get this pandemic under control. And the underlying thing here, what ties it all together is that it's the shortening of the telomeres that occur. Uh, not only do they secrete the inflammatory cytokines, but also with short telomeres, 
those final effector T cells that have to divide and divide and divide massively with this onslaught of this virus end up not being able to divide anymore because their telomeres get too yeah. short. And yet we know that people with severe disease get lymphopenia. Uh, in other words, yes. lymphocytes. Yes. Uh, and, I mean, that's been shown in COVID. That's been shown. Right, in COVID. That's what I'm talking about, in COVID. Um, and that, you know, it all makes sense, as they say, yeah. as to what sort of a hypothesis about what's going on to, to cause disease in individuals, in some individuals, where other ones, like I had a patient who came in, didn't even know she had it. She, we, I'm doing SARS antibodies and everybody, whenever I do blood on them, uh, because I want to know, you know whether they've turned positive, whether that's going to be explaining any long haul symptoms. But we know that 40% of people are asymptomatic. This is a, you know, a very healthy patient of mine. She's been a patient for 10 years, 55 years old. She didn't even know she got it. She didn't know where she got it. She didn't, she didn't know she had it, but she's SARS antibody positive. Yep. So why did she not get any symptoms, whereas that 23-year-old yoga instructor died? Yeah. That's, that's the real question. That's and a really good question, yep. That telomere biology and looking at immunosenescence and looking at biomarkers that can help us stratify things um, could lead to pathways for getting this thing under control. Yeah, it's a Morton question. I mean, it's a head scratcher, right? We can say there's the co classic comorbidities, right, that we see commonly, regardless of age. We see, you know, diabetes and prediabetes, et cetera, hypertension, obesity. So that, you know, you can see that. But yes, what about these other otherwise really healthy individuals? It's a good, that's a good theory. I mean, certainly when we look at, when we measure, look for antibodies at cytomegalovirus, and I want to ask you about Epstein-Barr as well, because we see, we can see really high Epstein Barr titers and reactivation, et cetera, et cetera. Would that be similar? I mean, that would that would lead to T cell exhaustion. Yeah. So uh, the, the the most um, powerful effect on the immune system comes from CMV. It's been looked at, but uh -huh. there's also been an interesting study that was done that looked at the number of herpes viruses. The higher the number of the greater the number of herpes viruses you have, you know, there's seven or eight of them, depending on how you yeah. count. Um, um, the shorter your telomere length is. Wow, so, so do you test them all in practice? Do you look for all of them? I have started doing that now, uh, just, this, just this year, because particularly HHV6, yeah. um, which causes, I believe, uh, roseola, or, or yeah, I think it's roseola, um, is you know kind of basically asymptomatic. But I have patients whose telomere length and immune function uh, subsets, uh, lymphocyte subsets, look like they have CMV, but they're CMV negative. Yeah. Turning out that those individuals have three, four, five herpes viruses, just not herpes virus six. So um, there's just background infection. There's a background background stress on your body. To yeah, keep this, fascinating. Keep this, uh, to keep these viruses latent. Right. Oh my Which goodness. The whole concept of the virome. I mean, we all know about the microbiome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the microbiome's importance in metabolism and you know, cognitive function. You, you name it. We're sure. Looking at microbiome now. But the virome is actually, I think, going to end up being just as important, if not yeah, more important. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's um, right. And we're going to start looking at those things. And actually, that's probably going to be a little bit easier to study because there aren't quite as many of them. Uh, and they can be studied in blood rather than, you know, <laughs> the other way. Well, um, we have a ton of them in our gut, though, too. I mean, honestly. Right, we, we do, for sure. Um, and we ha I, have a, I have a pretty cool podcast, if anyone's interested, in discussing bacteri bacteriophages with two of the, you know, one of the, the premier scientists over, um, Paul Turner, who's at Yale. And so speaking of interesting viruses, those guys are actually potentially good guys, but 
I digress. I, I think you're onto something really pretty cool here uh, regarding just having this high, high jet viral load that, that, that your immune system's working at keeping up bad. It makes so much sense to me. So these folks, I just, this, for this, this 40 year old and for the other patients who you are suspecting of deaths or you're measuring the various herpes viruses and seeing, you know, activation, you're using TI-65 with them, obviously, because you're thinking about short telomeres. I know you're testing telomeres as well, but for mm -hmm. somebody who's not, they could consider using this intervention, especially because it has demonstrated benefit in a number of cases, a number of studies where um, positive CMV participants were included. Um, mm -hmm. And is there anything else besides TI-65 and how do you dose it? Yeah, well, so um, there's sort of, what we know from biology uh, and pharmacodynamics, and well, then, then there's just sort of other practical considerations. Uh, I'll start with the practical considerations. TA65 is not inexpensive, and yeah. so you want to try to use the, the, the lowest dose that's effective, and that's where telomere testing, I think, is important. Uh, now, you could just take 250 IUs, which is a standard capsule size, or half of the tablet size, which is 500 IUs, you take it every day, and you may well benefit. And you know, our studies show that in a group, uh, in a large group, statistically significant benefit occurred at the 250 IU level. Yeah. Um, but I've seen in my practice that it may take more. Uh, it may potentially be a little bit less too. But I never look at a lower dose um, to get a reduction in senescent T cells, which I look at as sort of a major marker yes. uh, of of the of, of knowing that you're getting a blood level. But you know, in the absence of being able to test for telomeres, uh, I think that, you know, you, 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 you just kind of can't go wrong taking the 250. Would 500, if you can afford it, cover you? But then at that point, if you're going to spend the money for the extra 250 IUs, you might as well spend the money on the telomere length test because you only have to do that once or twice a year and you're saving, if you can save you money, then that's the better way to do it. But yeah. um, that's sort of, a, that's the practical consideration. The other test that you could do, if you really want to see whether you're in dire, no, dire need, but I think a very good candidate, let's put it that way, for TA65 is to look at the CD4 to CD8 ratio, which mm -hmm. has been shown in a very, I think, uh, convincing and elegant series of studies uh, in older individuals in Sweden, and now has been replicated in other slightly younger populations in other countries, um, where that ratio, if it's under one, which we call the immune risk phenotype, uh, or the immune risk ratio, uh, if it's under one, then your mortality levels rise quite significantly. Your short-term mortality levels rise if you're above 80, and potentially cardiovascular disease and longer-term mortality risk increase if you're, you know, when you're 60s and above. If that level is below one, that means that you have an accumulation of senescent T cells because the, the, the bottom, uh, the denominator is the CD8s, and that's where the T cells get senescent in that population, the cytotoxic T cells or the um, uh, and when, so when they accumulate and take up immunological space, the denominator gets bigger. The top, uh, the numerator, uh, the helper cells doesn't change that much with age. And so um, it's gonna be a bad thing when the denominator goes up and it goes under one. So if you have somebody in that circumstance, then I would put them on TA65, maybe recheck the, uh, the ratio in three to six months. And if it's going above one, then you're doing good things. Okay, all right, nice, good. That's a good pearl. Listen, just as an aside, what antibody, what COVID antibody test are you using? Oh, right now I'm using the ones that Quest and LabCorp you are. Uh, offer. They okay. don't have, a, I mean, and I, I think they are, I mean, I say that they've gotten better and yes. the current ones I think are highly sensitive and specific. 
Okay. Uh, I can't the exact number, but I think it's in the 99.97 for the specificity and 99.9 .9 for the sensitivity, something like that. So that's a that's a very useful one. It's just not cross-reactivity with other coronaviruses to any significant extent. Um, and so I think that they've gotten that part down pretty well. Yeah, good. Okay. The rapid COVID tests are still a little harder to get them than we'd like them to be, uh, but that is what it is. Um, so let's see, where else do we want to go here? I, I, I yeah, go I ahead. Mm -hmm. I want to mention one other thing because yes. of things that are exciting me. Um, and, and, you know, we got, we got pulled aside just for a second. Besides the, you know, the DNA methylation age thing that I wanted to, to, uh, to talk about, but I also wanted to talk about it because there's another new biomarker kit on the block that maybe your listeners have heard about. <laughs> you haven't heard about, you know, the new kit on the block in the biomarkers. <laughs> do tell, um, do tell. <laughs> and it's called glycan age. Um, and it is a measure, that's G-L-Y-C-A-N-A-G-E. And you know, I was introduced to, to a couple of years ago by a company that was going to offer it in the US, a US company. But then for some reason they moved away from that and they didn't end up offering it. And then I um, you know, I have this company, uh, PhysioAge Systems, which is a biomarker software. But it's yeah. more than that, it's, it's sort of health analytics. Yeah. You put all 600 different uh, markers into it to kind of analyze where you are in the aging process, but also in overall uh, health and functionality. Um, and so, um, one of my new um, licensees in, in Warsaw, Poland, the Longevity Center, uh, is run by a really uh, fascinating woman, Joanna Benz, who uh, is involved in, in health and medicine in, in the EU and put together a biomarker um, roundtable that I was invited to uh, with David Sinclair and, and actually the founder of this company, Glycan Age. And she started using it and she wanted to have me add it to my software. And so I, about uh, maybe about six or seven months ago, started um, doing the test. It's available now in the U.S. And what it is, is a biomarker whose R squared is probably a, between 0.5 and 0.665. So you might say, well, you know, that's pretty good, but not you know, that impressive. But again, the point is, it's not so much how it correlates with age, but how it correlates with other things. And what this test is, is a measure of the pattern of the sugar molecules that are attached to your immunoglobulin G, uh, mm. IG, the, the predominant antibody in your blood. Uh -huh. um, and it, it, you know, what's fascinating to me is that this has opened up a whole new field of information and, and signaling. Glycans, which are those sugar molecules, not only attached to IgG, they attach to virtually every protein. Everything. Yeah, that's They're all right. over your cell membranes and your lipids. Uh, yeah, but how does this, how, how is this different than an A1C? Okay, very good question, uh, but also the answer is very different. <laughs> um, and you know, patients ask that too. It's not about what your sugar control is. This is signaling yeah. it's controlled by your body. Uh, it's not a shift base like, a, like an A1C is. It is um, covalently attached to the protein uh, through uh, usually an asparagine or uh, I believe it's a threonine uh, amino acid that's right in the sort of center of the, the antibody where the two um, arms attach. Huh. Um, and, and, and they can vary between, and there are different sugars. It's not just, it's not glucose. Glucose, I think, is not even one of them. I think it's okay. maybe ones okay. lactose, fucose, okay. um, mannose, many other oses. <laughs> okay, so it's a, um, a, a bunch of oses is just damn. Right. Well, they're, you know, they're, basically, they're oligosaccharides in a certain pattern that are attached to it. 
-hmm. And the fascinating thing about it is that they alter the functionality and the signaling of the molecule. And in IgG, um, they change the inflammatory behavior of it. So if you have a certain pattern, which is found in younger people, this is what's so fascinating with regard to COVID. Yeah. In younger people, the IgG is much less inflammatory. It turns on complement much less, turns on the cytokines much less. Interesting. It does its job and then gets out of the way. And that may be why people can have asymptomatic disease because they don't have the cytokine storm. Right. As you get older, the pattern changes. It turns out that you lose the galactose typically down there, um, and some other changes take place. A fucose may be um, lost as well, and then you become a little bit more inflammatory, and then it changes even further, and you become even more inflammatory so that they can correlate it with age, but also correlate it with, uh, now the, the founder of the company, just I just spoke to him recently, has looked at um, People who've had COVID disease and those with younger glycan ages have had less severe disease. Oh, interesting. Is he going to publish on that? It, it, it's either, it's in, it's in review now, I believe. Um, uh, so, so his name is Gordon Lauk, L-A-U-C, put him in PubMed. He's got a large number of publications. Uh, really nice guy and, and, and a brilliant researcher bringing this field. You know, I think I've talked about this in the past, maybe not on your podcast, but it takes the availability, commercial availability of a test for a biomarker to become really important. And what's the quintessential right. example of that? Is the other weird Greek word other than telomere, cholesterol. Now, we knew about cholesterol, but until there was a good assay for it, you know, it wasn't going to be studied that much. It wasn't going to be useful that much. Um, and now Gordon has brought to the world um, through his lab, Genos, G-E-N-O-S, G-E-N-O-S, this uh, technology to measure in a really easy way, you can, it's a blood spot on a card. Is it really? Uh, yeah, and it's available basically worldwide. Um, huh. And he's rapidly accumulating data. There's, um, you know, he has a very highly characterized data sets that he's looked at these in, like the, the UK twin study. I think it's the twins, yeah, I think it's UK. Um, 8,000 subjects. So when he gives you a glycan age, it's not just sort of, you know, based on a small data set, it's based on a large data set. Uh -huh. um, and what's fascinating about that is that in my practice, and this is how I got to know him, uh, besides the round table, was that we kept on sending results back. We sent about 60 of them back at this point, and we have many more cooking. Um, and he was noticing that in my patients, the average male glycan age was 27 years younger than average than their chronological age. Huh. Um, and the average female was about 14 years younger. And he you know, sent me an email, and then you know, he had a call, and he's like, what's going on here? <laughs> Wow. Um, and we're trying to figure it out. Well, you know, I, uh, as you, you know, you asked me earlier uh, before the show to talk a little bit about what, what I do in my practice, what therapies I do, and yeah. you know, employ a lot of them. Um, and so I don't know just yet what it is. Uh, and we're getting now to the point where we're having the numbers to look at it and analyze it and see if we can tease out what it is that's doing that. Now, look, we know that, you know, being in good shape, exercising regularly, you know, not being overweight, having a diet, high interest investment, all these things that are good for you uh, uh, make you less likely to get COVID. I mean, those are the, the, the antithesis of the comorbidities, right? Uh, and all my patients do all that stuff. They're on our supplement packs, but they're on other things too. Um, you know, so we have to try to figure it out because we don't know yet, but if his study, you know, and it gets confirmed that 
if you're, I, I, I'm 61 and my glycan age is 22, 22 or 23. Mm. Um, does that mean that I may get less severe disease? We don't know. But um, so far I'm still SARS negative and I haven't, uh, antibody negative, and I haven't been exposed to it. But, but this is, um, this biomarker is you know, very, very useful uh, because it also correlates with mortality, it correlates with osteoporosis, uh, diabetes risk, hypertension. Um, it is sort of more like Levine's phenoage than, than, the, than the original Horvath clock. So it correlates with age, but it gives you much more interesting. Right. And direct, these are not, this is not just a biomarker, these are effector molecules. Um, so, yeah. But what's also interesting is that my DNA methylation age is not that great. And I have patients whose DNA methylation age isn't that great, but their, their glycan age is really good. So, so what clock did you, what, just out of curiosity? What right, now, right now, I'm still using Zymo Research's clock, which is, a, which is licensed from Horvath. Yeah, they, they do, yeah but they don't use Horvath's anymore. Yeah. They, 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 they springboarded they, they, long, um, yeah. yeah. So they're right. not, so, you're, so it's their proprietary clock. I mean, it might be interesting to see what you are, you know, using a Levine clock or something. Oh, I have sitting behind me the Pheno Age kit that I'm going to spit into when I do my my uh, my next quarterly biomarkers. So I'll let you know. <laughs> Good. I I want to know. So um, I just want to tell folks because we're talking about so much interesting stuff. Um, first of all, we will do a roundup of the myriad studies that um, Joe has just mentioned, and we'll get as many. We'll 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 pack the show notes with all of these studies. Um, the glycan age will will get a link to that for you. Um, just a lot of these cool topics that um, that he's covered today. We'll just put on the show notes. Um, she's really she's interesting. You know, there's a proteomics clock out there too. I mean, I don't uh, know. yeah, <laughs> of I've course you know. Too. I mean, there's, there's there. I mean, this is the this is the the, the take home for me for the past year since we last talked. Yeah, is that. You know, we're talking about systems biology, and to think yeah. that there's one biomarker or even one clock, as much as you know, no matter how much data it puts into it, that sort of tells you the whole story is silly. Um, you know, we yeah, should that's have right. Been, that's right. Have been in retrospect. Um, <laughs> well, listen, when they have this biomarker roundtable, I don't know if you're able to like sneak a guest into this virtual world. I really want to go. It sounds oh, so well, fascinating. You know, yeah, we had it already. The, the, uh, the, uh, it was supposed to be in person in Liechtenstein, um, and they'll do one next year in, actually in Liechtenstein. So well, 2021. Right. <laughs> Keep your fingers crossed, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, if it's virtual, it'll be easier to like sneak right. in. But so listen, is it, I just, it, so it's, it's just a blood spot. Um, all right, we'll we'll link to it. I mean, I have questions about if it's pricey. I mean, I'm I'm super I'm really curious about it, and I'm just I'm thrilled with this hypothesis that you've posited to us today on why extremely healthy people could be really developing severe COVID nineteen, as well as it, it's just a logical collection of interventions or way to think about addressing COVID in, in, in older patients. I mean, they're not, you know, in helping with immune rejuvenation. I think that's the the name of the game. Yeah, um, that is. So where else do we want to talk here? You, you, you sent me another pretty cool study that was published in August. It's an, it's a, it's an animal study, but looking at infertility and, and kidney dysfunction, again, using TA65, any comments on that? Yeah. So, you know, I was, I just saw that fairly recently. That's why I added to, to, um, cause I was looking for new stuff that, that yes. came up the last time we spoke. It, 
I think it's actually pre, they accepted it, but it's not going to be published until November. But yeah, so I was looking at the date. Very new, but yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, with two things about it. One is that, you know, it wasn't, uh, I should say just parenthetically that in Dr. Aviv in the paper on COVID-19 and telomeres talks about potentially TA65 as, as something that could be helpful, but then makes an aside about it, you know, being funded by the company, the, the studies that he was mentioning. This study was not funded by the company, uh, and it's just, and, and there have been other studies recently that have come out, just people interested in, you know, molecule. what we have is the, is, is the telomeres, telomere biology, um, and what is the, probably the best and most well-validated telomerase activator. So what they did was they uh, took uh, young, young rats and older rats um, and gave them TA65, I mean, they didn't give it to the younger rats. They, they measured, uh, they looked at the, the, uh, their testicles, they looked at their kidney size, they looked at their kidney function, they looked at their hormone levels. Um, and what they found was that, it, and, then they, and then in older rats, 10 months, following from 10 months to one year, they gave, they gave them TA65 at 500 milligrams per kilogram, along with pomegranate extract uh, yeah. at 250 milligrams per kilogram. And I know you'd be, you were interested in that, I'm sure, from the functional mm -hmm. medicine standpoint. And, all the uh, uh, polyphenols that are that are in pomegranate, mm -hmm. um, with the hypothesis being that you know either they didn't really mention telomeres per se, and they didn't measure telomeres, but um, the and certainly for pomegranate they you know that wasn't a part of the hypothesis, but just as antioxidant and its potential youth youth enhancing and, and longevity enhancing benefits, um, what they found was that you know the the control group and the older mice did lose. Uh, fertility, uh, they had abnormal, abnormal morphology, motility, uh, and numbers of, of sperm produced in their testicles on, on, on histology looked older and different. Um, whereas, and then the kidneys shrank, uh, their GFR decreased by close to 50%, um, and, and uh, their uric acid levels went up. So all things of, of, of aging kidney that they would expect to happen, happen. But in the Older, I mean, this is, you know, they'd gotten to sort of equivalent, probably humans about 60. Um, the, these, these rats then were given TA65 orally in an oral gavage. So, you know, just how we basically would take it, uh, yeah. except you know, squirted down their throat rather than, um, than taking it as a pill with some water. Um, and virtually all these, these, um, these changes with age were reversed uh, to, to a large extent. I mean, Right. Testosterone levels didn't go back up as much. They didn't go back to youthful levels, but they improved. Um, but uh, LH improved uh, the signal from the pituitary, so it affected pituitary. Uh, FSH improved. That, that, that would explain why the, you know, the, the sperm and uh, the, uh, the Sertoli cells responded better and made better and more, more healthy sperm. Creatinine and GFR improved. Uh, uric acid levels came down. So a rejuvenation of, of the, these animals. Now, yeah. The caveat on that is they didn't have any molecular mechanisms for how this happened. Uh, and they didn't measure telomere length, which would have been great. Uh, yeah. um, it happened to, to a certain extent in pomegranate, but more, it was a better, better response, except in the hormones, but everything else was a better response for the TA65. Um, and then, um, yeah, so, that, so, so we didn't really know why it took place. The other, the other caveat was that 500 milligrams per kilogram is a lot of TA65 in a human. Yeah. Uh, it's about... I think four, I think 
10 times what, what we normally dose people with, so super expensive. Um, right. but how, long, how long was the study? How long did they do the intervention? Two months of intervention. Okay, two months. All right, go ahead. Um, and, and, but we don't, they didn't do a lower dose. We don't know that a lower yeah. dose wouldn't have, wouldn't, wouldn't have been infected. Well, uh, you've been using TA65 for more than a decade in your patients. I mean, do you see some of this? You see some of this rejuvenating... Well, I certainly see telomere lengths getting longer in, in, in many of my patients. And well, what about kidney function and some of the other? I mean, I know you're doing a lot, so you can't tease it out. But Right. So I haven't looked specifically longitudinally at, uh, at change in kidney function, um, but I not systematic. You, you could do that really you know, easily. That's, that's, that's on the list. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you've got a dance now <laughs> working with me um, that's, you know, in, in the at the level of kind of like a Morgan Levine in terms of his knowledge of this stuff. Uh, uh, so hopefully we'll be uh, producing some of this, some of these analyses and hopefully publishing some. Um, but you know how that is when you're seeing patients all day long. Yeah, it's just, it's hard. Yeah, it is. I know. I get it. You've done a lot. You've, you've well, done a lot. But what we do see though is, is um, I mean, is, is either increased or I have many patients where I, I show them their trend, and over the past 10 years, they've had no loss of telomere length. And that, that's not the natural history. The natural history is lose at least a half a kilobase, which is a, you know, much more than the fluctuation of the test. Uh, we see that. Um, you know, I can say just sort of, sort of anecdotally that I have some males that have fathered children in their 70s, and so that's <laughs> you know, maybe something going on there. I don't know uh, for sure. But, uh, um, you know, but yeah, I don't have anything more than that. I just thought that that kind of rejuvenation, now that kind of rejuvenation is the kind of rejuvenation that was seen in some of the studies I mentioned last time where they're doing gene therapy. They're yeah. lengthening telomeres by, you know, 30% and you're seeing firm, uh, you know, testes rejuvenated, kidneys rejuvenated, brain rejuvenated, skin rejuvenated. Um, and, you know, they may be, if they looked at the telomere length, have gotten something like that. Who knows? They didn't look at the telomere length. Um, but... But it's really pretty fascinating that uh, that it mirrors the gene therapy studies to a certain extent with oral oral dosing, albeit at a very high level. Really high level, yeah. Fascinating. God. Well, you know what? We're running. We're we're running out of time. Um, I could continue to pick your brain on this topic. It's so interesting. So, you let's see. You're gonna reveal. Our, the title of this podcast, as you see, folks, is the best biomarker of aging. So you're going to, of the many that you've talked about, you're going to reveal that to me. Um, we talked about your the DNA methylation uh, testing that you've been doing in your patients. You're going to give me a follow-up on that. And then the women's um, expected longevity linked to age at birth of last child, you're, this is, that's a pretty interesting paper. So those are, those are three things that maybe we can just bang out in our next few minutes here. <laughs> what do you think? I'm gonna, you know, when when I was thinking about the uh, the the title, I want to get people interested by saying what's the best biomarker? Yeah. But the answer is there isn't a best biomarker. It's click. That's definitely click. It was worked for me. I'm like, oh, do tell. Okay, there's uh, no you know, best. <laughs> and again, that's right. really that's really I want to say that to the, the DNA methylation people out there who keep on saying that their biomarker is the best biomarker of aging. The people that invented D DNA methylation aren't saying that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. So you shouldn't be well, saying. Well, let me tell you something. You you just paused. You 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 argued it very elegantly. I mean, you just did a really good job today on that. I think I think that I think that you know, money aside, the best biomarker of aging is 
the more the merrier. Um, and, and that's right. really, that's, that's, that's my approach right. in my practice. And I'm, of course, um, I'm trying to be cognizant of patients because virtually none of these biomarkers are covered by insurance. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they're not hardly expensive, but they run between 200 and four or 500, depending on the biomarker. Um, but uh, I would say, look, if you're and, you know, thinking about doing a whole body CT scan, which I think is a waste of time and too much radiation, spend your money on a biomarker, a panel yes. of biomarkers instead. Yes. Um, but, you know, so, but I do, in my practice, I do telomeres, I do the immune lymphocyte subset panel, which we then give them a, sort of an immune age. We have a new kid on the block for a different kind of immune age, which is the glycan age. Um, mm -hmm. I do the DNA methylation age. There's going to be a, you know, a, a proliferation of, of clocks available yes. um, that I think will be used for different things, trained on different things. And we may use a number of different methylation clocks. And they may not even be called clocks at that point. They're just called, you know, predictors yes. uh, of various things. Uh, and, and that, I think, is going to be something we're going to see in the future. Yes. Um, I think that, that that the sort of easy one, which we'll have available on, on our, uh, through our company fairly soon, is to just put in the, uh, the, the, the routine markers that I mentioned uh, and give you a pretty good clock based on data that you probably... Oh, I'm thrilled. Already. Yeah, perfect. Okay, well, geez, why don't you let us know and we can link to that. Uh, I certainly will. Um, and then uh, the, yeah, the women's uh, expected longevity, that's another one of those things like the best biomarker of aging. I think, uh, my, my take home on, is that, on that is that you shouldn't take home what you think you should take home from that, which is people are like, okay, if I have a child late in life, then I'm going to live longer. No. Um, <laughs> the causality is not there. It's, uh, we don't know that that's not, I mean, it's possible that that might have something to do with it. But what is more likely is that and this is this is a follow-on to a smaller study that was done in 2017. Uh, this is a larger study. I think it's uh, close to a thousand subjects. Um, but basically, you know, to just quickly sum it up, if you have longer telomeres, you are likely aging more slowly. Uh, you are physiologically younger, and therefore, even though you're in your late 30s you're really like you're in your late 20s. And, and so you're likely to have a longer lifespan, a healthy lifespan. And that's what the study did. They looked at who, those are the telomere length yeah. women that lived to their, into their 70s and saw when they had their last child. And in fact, um, the ones that had the latest child had uh, the, the, the longer life and the longer telomeres. Uh, I mean, the longer telomeres because they were all in their 70s. So I think it's really more a general, um, a generally more healthy woman is yeah, their fer the fertility is, is longer lasting just like the prior study in the animals yeah. well i mean yeah just good fertility although that those guys were using ta65 yeah. yeah and i see that in my patients i actually you know i have patients that come in um who you know are still menstruating in 54 55 um and they have typically longer telomeres uh and they you know some, some of them may have had looked at it systematically but I wouldn't be surprised if someone had children later in life because they were able to. Right. Uh, so, you, you know, it, it, you don't want to say, look, I'm going to delay childbirth for career reasons and it's going to help me live longer. That's, that's <laughs> not, not a good way to interpret that study. All right. Let me <laughs> try to get pregnant. Know, they, now. They, 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 they sort of did the same thing with the title that we did with the best biomarker of aging. Yeah. People interested. Yeah. Think that's what it is, but that's not what it is. Right. Very interesting. Gosh. Well, you know, you, I just want to make one comment and then we're going to, we'll wrap up. But you, you know, you talk about none of these 
tests these these really useful biomarkers of aging being covered by insurance. And, you know, as you started our talk today, pointing out that the number one risk factor for COVID-19 for, you know, for, for, for disease, severe disease and mortality is aging. And of course, aging is the number one risk factor for cancer, for cardiovascular disease, for diabetes, and for dementia, as you pointed out also. And so at some point, you know, the, the powers that be need to get the, 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 that this is in fact a very wise investment to look at these biomarkers. Because if we just turn back the biological hands of, of, of time, you know, a little bit, we improve outcome, we improve health span, um, lifespan just remarkably. So I think, I think there needs to be a revolution in how we're conducting research and, and stepping away from being so siloed into really, as you say, embracing the systems approach. Yeah, and, and I think that revolution is about to occur. You know, the Kane trial, um, which is looking at the effect of metformin on mortality, uh, is the first uh, anti-aging mm. trial that hasn't yet started, but will start fairly soon. Um, and the FDA, the, one of the former FDA commissioner was on that call, um, and, and, and they will likely, you know, start to think about approving a drug for aging. And if they approve a drug for aging, then they're going to have to approve the biomarker of aging. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, the floodgates um, are going to open. So it's, it's going to open, and, you know, the, the, the bastions of, you know, stodgy academia uh, is, are now, you know, making people like Morgan Levine professors uh, at a young age to study aging and bioinformatics around aging, yeah. that means the sea change is starting to take place. Yeah, that's right. That's a really good point. Yep, absolutely. She's here in, in Connecticut at Yale. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's a that's a great way to end. It's always nice to connect with you. I um, yeah, I look forward to visiting your your clinic. We'll put connect. We'll put links to the clinic and links to um, Dr. Raphael's various websites, and just you know make all of this rich content that he's shared with us today available to um, everybody listening to New Frontiers. So again, Dr. Raphael, thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome, Sarah. Uh, have a great. Uh, wish we had more time. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be continued. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to having you coming down here and, and getting you a. Uh, We'll, we'll, we'll get you your overall physio age. I know, I know. I'm, I'm looking, I'm, well, I'm hesitant, as I'm sure most people are, but I'm also really looking forward to it. It's, it's, it's Oh, I've met you in person before. You're, you're a pretty healthy specimen, so I'm sure you're <laughs> a little, little Great. All right. All right. So, so to be continued. Thank you. Right. Take, Take care. care. Bye.